Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Uh, the past few weeks, we've been in this series for three weeks now, talking about what we really believe. And uh, every week I've said that you actually have a picture of church. You may not know this, but when you walked in here today, you had a certain set of expectations about what your experience would be like, or, or really in any environment that you go, there's an expectation that you have. And what we do in any environment is we're constantly comparing, like, is this meeting my expectations? Is this living up to what I thought this was all about? And so what we've been doing uh, through this series is trying to like look under the hood of what Christianity is ultimately about uh, and really how we express our faith here at Story Church and some of the specific things that are unique about us. But we've been talking about what we believe, not in terms of a checklist of things that you must like say yes or no to or, or in terms of a creed that you need to recite. But what we've said is that because we're Story Church, I guess, we believe that the story of Scripture, that, that Scripture ultimately tells a story that points to Jesus and that we can take our cue uh, from Jesus and from his story, that it's not something that we just comply or submit to, that the goal of this series isn't for you to agree with me on everything or, or just to, like get in line or anything like that, but really it, it's a conversation about some of these misunderstood or maybe misconstrued aspects of our faith that are really central uh, to uh, what the story of God is all about. And, and so uh, every week we've started with a few essentials uh, in the question like, what do we really believe? We do really believe some things. And at the core of who we are as a gathering of people is we're a Jesus-centered community, that we really think Jesus is like what it's all about, that that Jesus is who he said that he was and that he did the things that he said that he would do. That's what we're going to celebrate specifically in a couple of weeks at Easter Sunday. And, And then from there, we've said that we trust the Bible as it points to Jesus, that the Bible is a complex, confusing at times, library of documents that we believe were inspired by God in a unique way and point us back to Jesus, where we can learn what his life was like, where we can learn the things that he taught and really how we're supposed to live in light of everything that he did. And so we said that uh, we trust the Bible as it points to Jesus. And then outside of that, uh, I've thrown the Apostles' Creed your way, just as like a bullet point, if you're really like type A or whatever kind of person who needs the list, like what do you believe? Uh, The Apostles' Creed has been recited for thousands of years by Jesus followers. It's kind of like a 101 Orthodox Christianity. This is what Uh, we believe. But I've said every week that outside of some of those essentials, I hope and I really believe that within our church community and even within our leaders uh, in our church, you'll find a diversity of thought and opinion uh, about all kinds of different aspects of the faith. And I actually think that's a good thing, that uh, we should have diversity in the church and we should kind of wrestle and work back and forth with different perspectives on different aspects of what it really means like to be faithful to Jesus and to live out uh, the calling he has on our lives. But I decided this week, I've talked about the Apostles' Creed for three weeks in a row. I've never once actually shown it to you. And so I thought that might be a good idea to actually like run through this thing that I've said. Like, I mean, you can Google it. You can look it up on your own. But uh, like the Apostles' Creed, it was recorded or written down around the 5th century. So really, really old uh, thing. People believe that it actually goes back farther than that. And it's called the Apostles' Creed 
uh, because it's basically viewed as this summary of what the apostles or some of the very first followers of Jesus who went out and started the church movement, what they believed to be true. It's meant to be the summary of their belief. And I remember growing up in church, I was actually reading it through my run-through, and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't done this since I was a kid, but we used to actually recite this together. I'm not going to make you do that today, but I'll just read it over you. This is what the Apostles' Creed says. It says, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And I could hear some of you grew up in church because there's like that little murmur of like, you know how like when you repeat something in an environment again and again, you get in that like cadence of how you say it. I was like dropping into that a little bit there. But uh, anyway, there's a lot packed into the Apostles' Creed and we're certainly not going to cover all of it uh, today or, and really not throughout this series. But if you were paying attention, you probably noticed in that creed some of the things that we have talked about, some of the things that we have covered over the past few weeks. And if you need a refresher on week one, we talked about what do we believe about God? And that's a really big like, place to start, right? But what we said is actually what God says about himself, how he revealed himself uh, through scripture again, that God is love. At the core of who God is, is love. Not that God is loving sometimes or he acts loving uh, in some ways, but like his essence, his very being is love. And we talked about this really complicated idea called the Trinity, that God is somehow three persons, but one God at the same time. And they exist in this divine dance. That's actually uh, the original language that was used to describe the Trinity was perichoresis, which is like this dance of love, where uh, the Father loves the Son, who loves the Spirit, who loves the Father, and on and on and on, this dance of love goes. And what we said in week one is this endlessly knowable mystery that is God, this community of love that has existed from all time, uh, didn't just exist, but actually wanted to share with us that same experience of love, that experience of God himself. And so uh, God became a king and, and created a kingdom, the world, the universe that we all live in. Everything you see and you've experienced and learned about and know, we believe originated from God, that he actually created it with intention. And on week two, uh, we gave a word for that intention. We said it, that God created the world in shalom. And shalom isn't just a way that people greeted each other in Aladdin, but shalom, uh, if you actually define it, is this idea of universal flourishing and wholeness and delight. Shalom is everything functioning in the way that it ought to be. And we've all had experiences like that, right? Where we're like, man, this is what it's supposed to be like. Maybe a great friendship uh, or a great relationship or a great meal or a great music. Like one of those moments that just kind of elevates your perspective and you're like, oh my gosh, I knew the world could be like this. Uh, unfortunately, on week two, we kept talking and uh, we acknowledged that the world isn't like that all the time anymore. We said it's an important distinction, right, that the world was made good, that you were made good, that there's this original blessing on you and on every person that you'll ever encounter, but all of us have fallen short of where we ought to be as well, and we call that sin. But on week two, we, we defined sin, and we said that sin isn't just this arbitrary list of do's and don'ts, and it's not just about finger-wagging God trying to get us to get in line. But in light of shalom, sin is this culpable disruption of it. 
Sin is any time that God's intention for the world is fractured or broken. It's any time that our connection with God or our connection with other people is messed up. It's anything that disrupts the way that God intended things to be. And so then on week three, uh, we kept going. We kind of bounced back to that Trinity idea. And last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit. And what we said is that often in faith communities, we kind of go to one of two extremes, right? We like really emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit in our faith, or we kind of just pretend like he's not even there, like the crazy uncle of the family. Like he shows up sometimes, we don't know what's going to happen, but we just don't talk about it. Uh, but what we said is actually that like the Holy Spirit it is personal. Like he is a part of the Trinity. He's someone that we can relate to. The Holy Spirit is actually present in the lives of Jesus' followers, and the Holy Spirit actually gives us power. And in fact, that's the important thing for us to know and to experience. If you're trying to be a follower of Jesus, you have to know that the Holy Spirit is actually the one who empowers God's people to follow Jesus in the ways of his kingdom. That following Jesus really isn't about more effort and more striving and more figuring it out. It's more like surrender to God's leading in your life and his development and his growth of character in your life. The Christian life isn't meant to be lived in our own power, but it's meant to be this daily dependence on God and his spirit empowering us. And so the last line of that phrase that we shared last week about Jesus and the ways of his kingdom is actually where I want us to go today. We're going to hone in on what we believe about the kingdom of God. And I don't know what you've heard about the kingdom of God, right? We're all good Americans. We're like, I don't want a king. We took care of that years ago. Uh, like, if you've ever heard that phrase, uh, the kingdom of God, in reference to Jesus, it, it's kind of confusing. Like, sometimes when you hear uh, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, uh, as Jesus says it at other times, uh, we think about, like, Jesus as a king, right? Jesus on the throne, maybe a picture like this uh, comes to your mind. He looks like he's back from spring break with that fresh glow on him <laughs> today, but uh, like this picture of Jesus as heavenly and, and powerful and, and in control of everything, and there's some really beautiful aspects of God and his character revealed through this picture of Jesus, right? That, that Jesus is in control, that he does have power, he does have authority, that uh, he is like heavenly and, and ultimate and above all things, but sometimes this view of God can also lead to some confusing stuff, some difficult stuff to wrestle with. Because yeah, he's up there and he's glowing and that's great. But see that big seat he's sitting in? Sometimes that seat, that throne is almost viewed as a seat of judgment, right? Where God is in heaven just waiting for you to mess up or, or, or he's distant, right? He's up there and we're down here and, and maybe sometimes he pops in and cares or he shows up when I really need something, but otherwise that's just what he's doing, glowing up in the clouds somewhere. Like we can think that the kingdom of heaven is distant and that God's kingdom is about what happens up there and we're stuck down here just trying to get to up there. Uh, for others of us, maybe you've heard about God's kingdom or the kingdom of God as Jesus described it, and you uh, took the opposite approach. I mean, Jesus talks a lot about how God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is arriving. The kingdom of heaven is now. Jesus says all these disruptive phrases. And so sometimes we pick up this idea that like Jesus is with us and it's our job to build his kingdom here and now in this world. And there's some really great things that come from that too. But uh, when I think about this idea of like building God's kingdom or God being with us in the midst of everything, I'm reminded of some of these uh, kind of goofy uh, paintings that showed up in the 80s and the 90s, and I think they were really well-intentioned, so if you love this art, I'm kind of making fun of it, but I don't mean to, like, <laughs> that, you do you, um, but, like, there were these paintings of these images of Jesus that showed up where people, artists, tried to render, like, pictures of Jesus doing everyday things, like we do, to illustrate this idea that God is with us. That's a beautiful, powerful idea, but sometimes we took it a little far, in my opinion, and we get pictures like this, where there's, like, CEO Jesus, 
shaking hands across the table, like making the big deal. Way to go, man. I don't know. I don't know that that's how Jesus operates in the world. I'm not saying it isn't, but uh, my ultimate favorite is like Chuck Norris, tatted up Jesus. And I love that this artist like was bold enough to be like, what kind of tattoo would Jesus have? It's like kind of like that mom heart, but father, right? Because God the father, that was good. That was creative. But like, like sometimes we take up this idea that like Jesus is real earthy, right? That he's involved in everything, that he's here. And again, that's a beautiful concept. If I uh, can err too far one way or the other, I tend to err too far this way, right? Jesus is with us. He's one of us. He shows us what God is like as a human, and he can empathize with us. And again, th- there's these beautiful ideas wrapped up in that, but brace yourselves. We're going to get a little political today, okay? And I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, right? I can get in trouble if I do that. Uh, And I'm not, like, going to elevate one party over the other or any of that stuff that we see happen play out all the time everywhere. Uh, But we're going to talk about politics a little bit because politics ultimately are about how we organize our lives, right? How we organize our communities and our shared life together. And if there is a kingdom of God, And if it in some way intersects with here and now, then it has to play into the conversation at some point along the way. It's a piece of it. The kingdom of God naturally intersects with life right here and right now. And so I'm not going to tell you, like, the social strategy that the church should align with or the political party that we should align with. In fact, spoiler alert, in a little bit, I'm going to tell you we shouldn't align with either of them uh, or any of them. But uh, I love how Stanley Herwas, he's a professor at Duke. He's kind of a philosopher and theologian. I love how he says this. He says the church doesn't have a social strategy. The church is a social strategy. The church doesn't have a social strategy. We shouldn't necessarily align ourselves uh, with some existing thing in the world, but that Jesus actually started the church and the kingdom of God in many ways is its own thing entirely. It's its own strategy. And at its best, this idea of the kingdom of God here and now moving and alive and active, it can lead to beautiful things. It can lead to really healthy activism in our world. I mean, the church, you may not know this, but if you go back through history, the church is the group of people, it's the organization, the community that started hospitals, that started schools and orphanages, right? That took care of the least and the forgotten in the world. Churches have started recovery programs. Churches at one time were responsible not just for like Jesus tattoo art, but for some of the most beautiful art that exists that people travel to go see. It was the church who made this beautiful impact trying to bring and build the kingdom of God right here and right now. But this very idea that God's kingdom is here and it needs to be built is also the very thing that can often be politicized. It can often be co-opted and it can often be leveraged for earthly power along the way. And we can fall into this mentality that God is on our side, right? Whatever your side is, God's on our side. That means he's not on their side. And that's how we fall into this culture war, Christianity, where Jesus is clearly a Republican, right? Or if like, that makes you uncomfortable, Jesus is clearly a Democrat, right? Like, we fall into this and we're like, God is on my side and we, we power up and we think that basically the goal in building the kingdom of God here and now is to get Jesus in line with our agenda. It is to get Jesus to like back our candidate or back our platform along the way. And so it can be so confusing, right? Is the kingdom up there? Is it down here? Are we supposed to build it? Or, or is that something that God does? And how do we engage with it? And, and then on top of that, there's just confusing language about how Jesus himself talked about the kingdom. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is near. In fact, he announces, we'll see it in a second, that the kingdom is here. It's something that Jesus brought to earth. But other times, Jesus refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. 
and many of us have been taught that heaven is where we go when we die, right? Heaven is out there. It's, it's other. It's, it's something separate. And we're actually going to talk about uh, what happens in the life after this life next week as we wrap up this series. So if that's what you want to hear about, uh, buckle up. We're going there next week. But it can be just so confusing, and it's so important for us to work through this because if the kingdom of God is here, that means here matters a lot. Right? That means that there's a lot of work that we can do here. There's something we should join in on here. Uh, but if God's kingdom is just out there, then often we can fall into thinking that here in life right now and in our world and the status of it doesn't really matter that much, right? Because it's all going to burn anyway. It's kind of the mentality. Like, we're just going to wait it out until we're with Jesus in his kingdom and, and we'll see what happens. And if you haven't caught on to the posture and the way that we've approached this series yet, uh, what we're going to talk about is that neither of these are the full picture. Right? Neither of these extremes is the full picture of what God's talking about when he talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. That, that God's kingdom isn't just here and it isn't just there. It's somehow kind of both. Right? The kingdom isn't now and it isn't later. It's kind of both in this mysterious way. And to understand uh, that mystery or to understand that tension, uh, I want to introduce you to a concept that philosophers call liminal space. You can like take that home and impress your friends if you want. Liminal space uh, is this idea that there is a space that exists between something now and something not yet. That, that there can be this space where like you're just kind of caught in between. And uh, like teachers, parents in the room, you probably feel this, students. You feel this right now because in my memory, like when I was in school, that time after the end of spring break until the end of the school year was liminal space, right? Because you're like, I'm done with school in my brain. Spring break happened and I got a taste of the good life and I want to go back to it for the summer. But you got like six or nine or whatever weeks left. And so it's like, now I'm done, but I'm not yet done, right? You got to turn in the stuff. You got to do the work. And so you're like caught in this in between where you're in summer mode, but it's not summer yet. That's liminal space. Many of us, I think, feel this around Christmas time, right? Like the songs are in the air. We hear it on and on and on and on and on. And like the trees are beautiful and all the lights. But like, there's like days and days and days and days until we get to Christmas. There's Christmas season now, and then there's Christmas the day, not yet, right? We get caught in that anticipation. Uh, much of life is kind of lived in liminal space, in this in-between space. Uh, maybe you can remember, or maybe you're living through right now, that time where you graduated high school, or you graduated college, but you weren't yet in college, or you didn't yet have your first job. You were kind of in between, and that's when people always ask you, like, so what are you doing next? And you're like, don't ask me that question, because I don't know yet. It's this liminal space where you typically end up in your parents' basement for a little season, right? Uh, maybe you're here, and uh, you're in this season, I know at least one guy is, where you're in love, but you're not yet married, right? Or you're like, you're in a relationship, often we call this engagement, right? Somebody has the courage to ask the question, and it's like, yes, hopefully, and, and then you're in this liminal space, but it's like, it's confusing when you're in that space. It's like, we're in love, we're going to be married, but we're not married, so what are we now? You're in between. Uh, the word liminal actually comes from a Latin root, which means crossing over. It's this time where, like, there's an overlap between what's happening now and what we know is going to happen but hasn't quite fully happened yet. And honestly, I think the pandemic is a great example of liminal space. Right? This whole thing started in 2020, if you remember. And I think we're all kind of like, so is it done now? <laughs> like, what happened to it? <laughs> it just kind of disappeared one month, it felt like. For some of us, it never started. But like, it seems like it's happening. Right? It's now, but it's not yet. And we're just trying to figure it out along the way. And haven't we all at some point in the midst of the liminal space that's been 2020 and 2021 and a little bit of 2022 at least, haven't we all had that feeling like, I want this to end? Right? I, want, I want to be done with this. And it's because we're in a liminal space, and that can be really hard. It can be really hard to be caught in between something, 
And, and to not know, is it, is it here? Is it not here? Are we, are we there yet? And you have to navigate all kinds of emotions like anticipation and frustration and, and hope and, and despair and, and excitement and fear. And some days it feels like the thing you're waiting for is never going to happen. And then some days it's like so close to you can like, you can see it. It's right there. And, and that's the tension of liminal space. But the reason I'm talking about this so much today is because it's essential for us to get what that's like for us to understand what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like today. Because the very best theologians refer to the liminal space we're living in right now as the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is somehow both things. The kingdom of God is here and it is now, but it's also not yet. It's not fully realized yet. And so to explain what I mean by that, uh, let me remind you of what Jesus said when he walked among us. He showed up and he came announcing this. He said, the time has come the kingdom of God has drawn near. The kingdom of God has, has drawn close. And those are powerful words. Jesus is announcing that something was about to change in the world, that the kingdom of God was breaking through to earth in a unique way. But to understand what he means, we have to understand what he's talking about by the kingdom of God. And uh, so to define it really simply, I would put it this way. It's that the kingdom of God is the space or the domain where everything goes the way God wants it to. The kingdom of God is wherever God gets what he wants. Or I like how theologian Dallas Willard said it. He says the kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done. That's the kingdom of God. So when Jesus announces that the kingdom of God has come near, he's telling people that there's this way of life that can be lived right here and right now that's eternal. There's this way of life that can be lived. There's a quality of life that is heaven on earth that the kingdom has drawn near, this life where all humans can flourish and it's God's kingdom and Jesus shows up announcing it's available right here and right now. And in fact, uh, at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Luke records it in this way. It says that Jesus shows up at the synagogue and he's gonna teach and, and he's handed the scroll for the day and he opens it up to read and here's what Jesus announces. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, quoting Isaiah, uh, for he has announced to me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then check out what Jesus does. Like, that's cool just to read that. But he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and sits down. And it says, all eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That is like a Jesus mic drop right there, scroll drop or whatever. He's like, it's <laughs> happening, right? All of that beautiful not yet vision that the prophet Isaiah talked about all those years ago, it is happening now. The kingdom of God is near. So the good news that he's announcing, this restoration dream that God has for the world, he says there's good news for the poor. You don't have to struggle any longer. That, that the captives, the enslaved will find freedom. That the blind will be able to see again and the oppressed will be empowered and it's the kingdom of God, and Jesus says it's happening this very day, not someday. It's happening today, and the people, we're not going to look at it, but the people run them out of town because <laughs> they're like, you can't say that. That's not happening, right? Don't you know my life? Don't you know what's happening? And maybe you're like them. You're like, what gives? How can that be true? Because all of us can point to examples, right? If Jesus came to restore the kingdom of God, if Jesus announced it and it's happening right now, all of us can point to examples where things are still pretty messed up. Right? We all still have seen uh, examples of poverty, whether it's locally or, or globally. COVID-19, right? That was a mess. That might still be going on. I don't know. Like, that was, that was a thing. It was hard. We see headlines, right? Senseless violence and loss. We, we see brokenness in relationships all around us. We experience disease and, and, and loss along the way. And so these things aren't things that God desires. So how can it be true 
that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is now. Like, where is the goodness of God? That tension that we feel uh, that things are not yet as they should be, again, it's because we're in that liminal space. We're in that in-between. The kingdom is both now and not yet. The kingdom is now. Like, like it's a now thing. We catch glimpses of it sometimes, right? When somebody does something really beautiful, when somebody loves us the way that we deserve to be loved, when somebody is irrationally generous, uh, when somebody shows compassion, uh, those moments where the world seems like it's a good and beautiful place, where things are as they ought to be. But the kingdom is a not yet, because not everything is the way that God wants it to be. Right? And the truth is, the kingdom won't be fully restored until King Jesus returns and ushers in uh, what we'll look at later. He calls a new heaven and a new earth. And again, a lot of that we're going to talk about next week. But for now, we're in the in-between. And here's why this is an important conversation. If you want to follow Jesus and you want to like, take that call on your life seriously, it's the like, tension of now and not yet. It is the very mission, it's the very thing that Jesus calls his followers to live into right now. That joining Jesus in his mission means bringing the not yet into the now. It means bringing the kingdom of heaven into reality right here in the earth, in the world that we live in. And so like, that's why when we talk about our mission here at Story, connecting people's story to God's story, that's not just about getting them to heaven someday. Right? It's not just about them praying a magic prayer and then waiting it out until Jesus calls him home or comes back. Uh, sometimes our faith can look like that, and our mission certainly involves reaching people, okay? So don't get me wrong. That's an important piece of it, introducing people to the story of God, asking them to, to discover what it looks like to live life with him, inviting them to know God and to follow Jesus. Reaching people is a part of it, but our mission is also to help restore God's dream for the world right here and right now. Uh, our mission is also to, it's not just to get people from earth to heaven, but it's to bring heaven to earth in the same way that Jesus showed up and he announced that it was possible, in the same way that he announced a different world is possible. This is the mission, and we get to be a part of it. And not only that, but our job as a church, right, to reach people, to restore what the world could look like anywhere and everywhere that we can, our job is also to reproduce that movement everywhere that we can. That's why we believe in church planting around here. It's not just because we've done it like three times. Uh, we believe in church planting because the mission of Jesus is meant to reproduce and spread everywhere. That, that, that's what we're building in this liminal space is we're helping to build for God's kingdom right here and right now. That's the mission that Jesus calls us to. And maybe you're thinking, that sounds cool. What in the world do I do with that, right? I like, that's, I like that you like the tension, Eric, but like, what, how do I live in it? What do I do with it? I'm glad you asked because like, one thing that I think we need to do as we live life right here and right now where things are not always as they should be, we need to remember how the story ends. We need to remember how the story ends. We need to remember the not yet piece of the kingdom of God. And have you ever had somebody who was uh, telling you a story? Maybe they're telling you some bad news along the way, but as they start going into it, they're like filling in all of this unnecessary detail about like, well, then this person was there and that, and then we had this for lunch, and then like, and, and it's on and on, and you're kind of like, okay, you said you had bad news. <laughs> like, are you going to get to the bad news? To be honest, it drives me crazy whenever this happens. Like, just tell me what it's going to cost, right? <laughs> or like, did they quit the job or not quit the job? Like, what does it mean? Uh, I need to know how it ends, right? It drives me crazy. And if I knew how it was going to end, then I would probably tolerate all the details along the way a little better. But many of us can get lost in the middle of the story. For us as Jesus followers, it's important to remember how the story ends. And, and let me remind you where the story is going uh, in that book of the Bible called Revelation that we all argue and fuss about. This vision is introduced, and it says this. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. At the end of the story is we get to be with God in his kingdom community, and everything will be made right. All of those wrongs that we see, all those wrongs that we experience, there's this promise that the story ends with all of that being made new and being made right. And because Jesus' followers know that, we've been introduced to that, we have a couple of responses. We have a couple of responsibilities in how we navigate life right here and right now. First, our job is to proclaim the not yet. It's to remind people that this is the trajectory of the world, that this is what's possible. This is the end of the story that we're all living in. But the second responsibility that we have is to live it right now, to live out that end of the story in the now. We bring heaven to earth. We bring the not yet into the now. We're called to participate in both things, right? To proclaim what's yet to come, but to live out what's yet to come right here and right now. And so how do we do that? Well, again, we remind ourselves, we remember what the story is going to look like in the end, and then we take our cue from what it looks like to live right now from that. Uh, For example, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul's writing, the Apostle Paul who planted churches in the first century is writing to one of those communities, and and he starts describing what life in God's kingdom looks like. And he says this, he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. That's a vision of the not yet, but it's a vision that can shape how we live right now. Paul is saying that in the not yet, there's no discrimination based on race. So if we see that now, we need to address it. We need to talk about it. We need to be willing to go there. In the not yet, there will be no such thing as those who are in power and those who are disempowered. And so when we see these, these just abuses of power, we should go there and we should talk about it. We should address it along the way. In the not yet, there is no inequity based on gender. And and so when we see that in the now, we need to talk about it. We need to go there. And I'm not here offering like, here's this party's solution, or that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying as Jesus followers, we proclaim how it's supposed to be, the not yet, and then we live like it. We live like it's true now in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. We live out the not yet in the here and now. And that is how the kingdom of God is built in this world through the church. Here's another peek of how the story wraps up. Uh, Again, recorded in Revelation, it says this, after I looked, there was before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's a beautiful vision of that not yet kingdom of community, right, where everybody is invited. Everybody is included. So as Jesus followers, right now, we proclaim that to be the end of the story, and then we live like that's true right now by who we include, by who we invite in, by who we treat with dignity, knowing that there will be this great multitude from every background right there in the end. The not yet vision shapes how we live right now. And here's the thing, like, we've got to acknowledge that all sounds beautiful, right? That all sounds great. But there are some very real tensions that stand in the way of us living this well right now. And I think just, like, this is just me talking now, but... I think that like culturally this is at an all-time high right now for all kinds of different reasons and I'm not really here to point the finger about it today. 
But like buckle up for a second because I think there's a very real challenge, especially within the church community, uh, for many of us, really inside and out of the church, there's this real challenge where many of us, and specifically I'm concerned about followers of Jesus, we are more compelled by our political vision for the future than a kingdom vision for the future. Right? We are more motivated, more invested in a political vision than a kingdom vision. And many of us have aligned the mission of Jesus with whatever our preferred party is, and so then we vilify the other party and we live out all these things that are so different than what the actual not yet vision of the kingdom of God looks like. And, and here's the thing, I'm gonna offend everybody over the next few minutes just to give you like a sense of what this looks like, okay? Because some of us are way more invested in our conservative political ideology than we are invested in the kingdom vision. And, and so then when the kingdom vision doesn't match what Tucker Carlson says or what Fox News says, right, we try and make the kingdom match what they're saying. We're, we're more informed and more shaped by Tucker Carlson than by Jesus. Right? We're, we're more informed and shaped by the 24-hour news cycle than we are by spending time in 24-7 relationship with God and letting his spirit shape us. And don't worry, equally wrong are those of us who are so invested in our progressive political ideology that we just take whatever Rachel Maddow says over what Jesus says, right? That we're more MSNBC than we are the story of God. And, and we let that shape our living. And here's the thing, both stories fall short. Both stories fall short of the kingdom of God and the kingdom vision. Jesus' kingdom was never meant to be aligned to an American political party. Again, it's a global movement, right? <laughs> like, we're, we kid ourselves sometimes when we get wrapped up in all of this. And this is what keeps me up at night as a pastor, to be honest with you. So many of us are more discipled by the Epic Times or the New York Times than we are by the story of God than we are by the kingdom vision, than by what Jesus modeled and what scripture actually teaches us. And so often, we can become those people in the synagogue who hear Jesus announcing, the kingdom of God is here and it's now, and we're like, run that guy off the cliff, right? Get him out of here, because that doesn't match my picture of the future. And when we miss it, we miss out. When we miss it, we miss out on the very activity of God in our world today. So here's maybe a, an important distinction for us to make in this conversation. It's not our job to build God's kingdom. It's not our job to build God's kingdom. God is really good at doing it himself. It's not our job, and in fact, every time that we think it's our job to build God's kingdom, we end up doing it in our image. And we end up with this lesser version where God looks a lot like us and he agrees with everything that we say. <laughs> right? We fall into this lesser vision. But it is our job to build for God's kingdom. That's a really important distinction. Right? It's not our job to build God's kingdom. It's our job to build for God's kingdom. And that's why at the very beginning of this church movement, again, the Apostle Paul uh, writing to the church gathered in Corinth, he actually goes on this beautiful rant about the power of the resurrection, this thing we're gonna celebrate on Easter Sunday and, and what it means. And then at the very end of that beautiful picture of what the resurrection is all about, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, Paul's saying there are things you can do now that build for God's kingdom. There are things you can do now that will last into eternity. And I don't know exactly how that works out. Again, we'll talk about some of this next week. But he's saying like, hey, there is work to be done. But it happens when we align ourselves with the character of who God is and the narrative and the values of his kingdom. And then we live that out not trying to co-opt the power of God for our values 
and, and our perspective. I love how uh, theologian Tom Wright, uh, N.T. Wright, says it. He says, what you do in the present by painting and preaching and singing and sewing and praying and teaching and building hospitals and digging wells and campaigning for justice and writing poems and caring for the needy and loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They're a part of what we might call building for God's kingdom. These activities where we try and create a world that looks more like the vision that God had from the start, where people are treated with dignity, where there's mutual flourishing along the way. I love the way, uh, and we're actually gonna wrap up by giving you some space to kind of process everything that we've heard, but I love the way uh, that St. Francis of Assisi uh, articulated this. If you don't know St. Francis, uh, he started this whole movement, the Franciscan movement, and uh, he was around in like the year 1200, and uh, he had this experience when he was pretty young as a, as a priest, where he was in this church, it was the Church of St. Damien uh, in, in Italy, and he was there uh, looking at the cross in the room, and this church was kind of old and dilapidated at this point, and he saw this cross, and he just had this sense from God. I don't know if he heard an audible voice or what, but the story is he, he had this sense of God saying, go and repair my church. And man, what a word for us today, right? <laughs> go and repair my church. Go build my kingdom, right? Go, go build the thing that I want you to build, and I want you to partner with me, and I've always wanted you to partner me with him. And, and that's what St. Francis ended up doing. Again, he started this movement. Uh, he was really motivated less by the, the politicized structure of the church of his day, and, and more by just expressing practical love to real people. And, and at one point, he wrote down this prayer that I think can open all of us up to considering how well we're doing with living in the liminal space and the tension between now and not yet. And, and really quickly, I want to just read this prayer over you. And then we're actually going to sing a song uh, that pulls the lyrics of this prayer directly just to give you space to process how you're doing with this. Uh, but St. Francis's prayer says this. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. And where there's sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Man, that language is a portrait of what it can look like to live in the now and the not yet, to be people motivated by the love of Jesus, directed and guided and empowered by the Spirit to walk through this earth looking for, hey, where is their hatred and how can I bring love there, <laughs> right? Where, where is their division and how can I bring unity? Where is their doubt and how can I introduce faith? Where is their darkness and how can I bring light? Not because I'm so right and I have all of the answers, but because I know it's in surrendering to the Spirit of God that is on the move to build for this kingdom that we actually see the world become the place that Jesus promised it is and can be. And so another way maybe to think about this is to join in Jesus in the way that he prayed, in the way that he asked his heavenly father to do this in his life. He prayed, as it's recorded in Matthew 6, your kingdom come and your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Aligning ourselves up like that is what it looks like to practice the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God, to proclaim what's not yet here by living it out in the now. And so here's uh, what we're going to do together. Uh, We're going to sing a song, like I said, that actually pulls those lyrics directly from St. Francis's prayer. And uh, what I want you to do as we sing this song is I want you to just take a moment and really just kind of do business, like just you and God, about how you're doing with this, right? Did the Tucker Carlson thing bother you a little more than it should have? (laughs) Or or the Rachel Maddow thing? Like, what is that? And maybe in a fresh way today, you could have the invitation to say, look, God, your kingdom come, not mine, right? Your will be done, not mine. Help me to be a person who brings the not yet into the now, who reflects the kingdom of God in the way that I live and relate with people right here and right now. But wherever you're at today, take some time as we sing this song over you uh, to reflect and to open yourself up to what God may want to do with you. And let's all respond together. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.